Commissioner Ford Frick tries to protect Babe Ruth, and baseball loses an all-time great. It's episode 14 of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is, number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic 1961 New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lavallo. We have a lot of ground to cover in this episode, so let's get started beginning with Sunday, July 16th. It was a good old-fashioned pitcher's duel at Baltimore's Memorial Stadium in front of 28,487 fans. Both starting pitchers, Bud Daly for the Yankees and Steve Barber for the Orioles. Barber would someday pitch for the Yankees. Both starting pitchers were around at the finish in the rain-delayed game. The Yankees took a 1-0 lead in the fourth inning, on Mickey Mantle's 32nd home run of the season over the wall in dead center. The Orioles tied it in the sixth, and that led to an angry Ralph Houck. The Yankees manager thought a thunderstorm, which had started in the last of the sixth, should have halted the game before the Orioles tied the score. The game resumed following a 56-minute rain delay, and that set the stage for the ninth when Tony Kubek opened the frame with a double to the gap in left center. Moments later, Mantle, batting right-handed against the lefty barber, knocked him home with a one-out double, and that was all Daly needed. The Yankee southpaw ended up tossing a four-hitter, allowing one run, four walks, and seven strikeouts in the two-hour and ten-minute game. Barber allowed two runs on five hits, walked two, and struck out one. Even though the Yanks won, they fell out of first place as the Tigers swept a doubleheader from Kansas City. So Detroit was in first place at 58-31, and 31, a half game ahead of the 56-30 and 30 Yankees. In the National League, the Reds, at 56-32, and 32, held a five-game lead over the Dodgers, eight-and-a-half over the Giants, and nine-and-a-half in front of the defending world champion Pittsburgh Pirates. Meanwhile, it was expected Bill Scourin, out eight days with a back strain, would return to the Yankees lineup for the Monday Twinight doubleheader against the Orioles. And Orioles slugger Jim Gentile, who had already belted four grand slams on the season, would return following a jammed right thumb. The media was now starting to take more interest in the home run race, noting that after 86 games, Roger Maris had 35 homers and Mickey Mantle 32. In 1927, Ruth hadn't hit his 32nd homer until game number 95 and 35th homer until game number 106. And the Yankees experiencing injuries from pitchers Ralph Terry and Bill Stafford and ineffectiveness from Jim Coates and Bob Turley farmed out substitute outfielder Jack Reed to Richmond and called up 20-year-old southpaw pitcher Al Downing, who would be the first African-American to pitch for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Baseball Hall of Famer Ty Cobb was in the news. The 74-year-old hospitalized in Atlanta in poor condition. 
He was admitted one month ago suffering from diabetes and other ailments. Reportedly, his family had been summoned to his side. And 81-year-old Branch Rickey was discharged from a hospital in Sudbury, Ontario, after being hospitalized on June 27th, stricken by a heart attack. Monday, July 17th. The baseball world was mourning the death of Ty Cobb. Cobb passed away at the age of 74 in Emory University Hospital in Atlanta. Doctors said Cobb was suffering from diabetes and heart ailments and that his condition had deteriorated in the last two weeks. When Cobb was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1936, he beat out Babe Ruth by seven votes. And speaking of Ruth, the man who was his ghostwriter, baseball commissioner Ford Frick, moved to protect the Bambino's legacy, announcing that no batter would be credited with breaking Ruth's single-season home run record of 60 unless it was done in 154 games, the length of the season when Ruth played. Amazing. Can you imagine if they had sports talk radio back then, the way they have it now, in 2021? Frick noted that any player who hit more than 60 home runs after the 154th game would get a distinctive mark in the record book to show it was compiled under a 162-game season. Thus, the asterisk was born, although the record books never did show an asterisk, and when Faye Vincent was commissioner, he announced that the 61 homers hit by Maris would be recognized as the single-season mark without the distinction of games played. To the media's credit, by the way, they noted Frick did not announce other records would also be defined by what was accomplished in 154 games. Just the home runs. Ah, yes, Ford Frick, Babe Ruth's ghostwriter. Incidentally, speaking at a luncheon of the Baltimore Sports Reporters Association, manager Ralph Hawk said, quote, I hope they both break the record. That would make me look like a better manager. But our job is to win pennants, not worry about setting individual records. Hauk also said he would never change his lineup to help either player set the record, but admitted if the pennant was clinched, he would bat Maris and Mantle first and second to give them additional at-bats. On to the Twinite doubleheader. They jammed Memorial Stadium, some 44,332. And in the first game, Whitey Ford hurled a complete game shutout over the Orioles 5-0. He scattered six hits, walked two, and struck out nine for a 17th win against two losses. And it took him two hours and 18 minutes to do the job. Mickey Mantle slugged his 33rd home run, the 11th time he had homered in the season with Ford on the mound. Take that, Commissioner Frick. In between games, a moment of silence was held to remember Ty Cobb. Meanwhile, the Yankees jumped out to a 4-1 lead in the second game as Mantle homered again his 34th, and Roger Maris belted his 36th home run of the season. But weather intervened, and what was described as a drenching rainstorm in the fifth inning led to the postponement of the game. Thus, the game would have to be replayed as Maris and Mantle lost their home runs. The Yankees, at 57-30, and 30, also remained a half game behind the 59-31 and 31 first-place Tigers, who won again over Kansas City. Meanwhile, manager Ralph Houck did announce that rookie Al Downing 
would make his first start on Wednesday against Washington after throwing impressive batting practice before the doubleheader. And one other note, 30 players reported to Fairfield University in Connecticut as the NFL's New York Giants opened training camp under their new head coach, Allie Sherman, who succeeded Jim Lee Howell. Tuesday, July 18th, the Yankees were in Washington to play the Senators, but all the talk was about the pregame home run hitting contest. It was Congressional Roll Call Night at Griffith Stadium, as three players from each club teamed with members of Congress. The promotion attracted a crowd of 17,695, and offering a prelude of what was to come, Mickey Mantle teamed up with U.S. Representative Eddie Dooley of Mamaroneck, New York, to win the contest. Of course, it was at Griffith Stadium in 1953, where Mantle hit a home run measured at traveling 565 feet. In fact, that's where the so-called tape measure home run was born. In a game, Mantle hit them when they counted, belting two home runs over the right field wall, lifting the Yankees to a 5-3 win. The Mick had now tied Roger Maris with 35 home runs in 89 games, 17 games ahead of Babe Ruth's pace. Mantle had also homered six times in the six games so far on the road trip. The Bombers were also the winners of four straight, and 5-1 since the All-Star break. The Yanks actually fell behind 3-2 after Mantle's two-run first-inning homer, but Mantle broke a 3-3 tie with a solo blast in the eighth and added an insurance run in the ninth. Luis Arroyo won the game, which took two hours and 31 minutes to play, and that improved his record to 5-2. With Baltimore defeating Detroit, the Yankees were back in first place by a half game with a 58 and 30 record. Wednesday, July 19th. The nation's capital was caught up in the Maris Mantle home run race to beat Babe Ruth's record. The largest crowd of the season, even larger than opening day, 27,126, turned out at Old Griffith Stadium. But the Washington Senators proved a worthy expansion club and swept the doubleheader from the Yankees. New York blew an early three-run lead in the first game, and fell to the Senators 8-4 to in the two-hour and 31-minute contest. In the second game, the Senators bombed the Yankees 12-2 in rookie Al Dowding's first appearance. The left-handed starter failed to get out of the second inning, allowing five runs in one inning plus five batters during Washington's seven-run frame. Al Reneff gave up the other two runs in the inning, and a total of six runs in the game. But in the sixth inning, Mickey Mantle continued his torrid home run hitting streak, his 36th home run of the season, a solo shot that moved him one ahead of Roger Maris in 19 games in front of Babe Ruth's pace. When the two-hour and 34-minute game ended, however, the Yankees were still in first place despite losing the doubleheader. That's because the Tigers lost again to the Orioles. The Yanks now stood at 58-32 and 32 with a 644 winning percentage, while Detroit was 59-33 and 33 with a 641 percentage. Thursday, July 20th. It was a day when professional football took center stage after U.S. District Court Judge Alan K. Grimm invalidated the $9.3 million contract between CBS and the NFL, claiming... It violated antitrust laws. The judge ruled that each team in the 14-team league 
had reduced competition among themselves by negotiating collectively with one broadcast entity. The NFL was considering an appeal. From the gridiron to the diamond, where the Yankees were enjoying a day of rest before opening a three-game weekend series at Fenway Park against the Red Sox. But the Tigers were beating Baltimore 15-8, to dropping the Yankees a half game behind first place Detroit. Friday, July 21st, at Fenway Park, 32,186 jammed the ancient ball yard to witness the home run race, and they were not disappointed as Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle hit back-to-back home runs in the first inning. It was number 36 for Roger and number 37 for Mickey. The home run by Maris ended an 0-for-19 drought. Yogi Berra also added a two-run homer, but Whitey Ford didn't have it this night failing to survive the fifth inning, allowing seven runs on seven hits and walking six. And the Yankees went to the top of the ninth inning, trailing eight to six. They also saw reliever Luis Arroyo's 22 consecutive scoreless inning streak end when the Red Sox added an eighth inning insurance run. However, something happened on the way to the Red Sox victory. New York scored five runs, culminating with a two-out pinch hit Grand slam by Johnny Blanchard. Arroyo pitched a scoreless ninth for his sixth win against three defeats, and the Yankees were back in first place with an 11-8 win in the three-hour and 39-minute marathon. He thought the Yankees and Red Sox only played long games in the 21st century. Well, they played them long in 1961, time-wise anyway, but it was a thriller. The Tigers lost to Kansas City, so at 59-32, and 32, the Yanks were in first by 10 percentage points with a 648 winning percentage. Detroit fell to the Athletics 3-2 on player-manager Hank Bowers' run-scoring single in the third inning. It was Bowers' last game as an active player, as he announced he would retire and focus solely on managing the A's. Bauer was given a car steer, and a shotgun before the game, honoring his uh, his great career as a player. Now he was going to manage the Kansas City A's and not have to worry about playing anymore. By the way, the former Yankee removed himself from the game in the sixth inning after throwing out Rocky Calavito on the base paths. What a great way to end a career. Saturday, July 22nd. On this day, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle did not hit home runs, but 25,089 fans were roaring at Fenway Park as the Yankees pulled off another miracle comeback against the Red Sox. Down to their last out, trailing Boston 9-8, the Bombers did it again, and once more it was pinch hitter Johnny Blanchard. This time he slugged a Soma homer as the Yankees tied the score 9-9. Reliever Luis Arroyo followed with a double off the green monster. I remember when pitchers used to bat. Bobby Richardson knocked him in with a single and scored on Tony Kubek's booming double to the alley in left center. All the damage was done against reliever Gene Conley. Arroyo, meanwhile, pitched a scoreless ninth after allowing two runs in the previous three innings for his seventh win against three losses. With their 11-9 victory in 3 hours and 27 minutes, the Yankees at 60-32 and 32 held a one-game advantage over the Tigers, who were rained out at Kansas City. Meanwhile, Yankees pitcher Whitey Ford was named Pro Athlete of the Month for June 
in the competition for the S. Ray Hickok $10,000 belt. He had eight wins in the month of June. The New York Times also reported that, quote, if President Kennedy calls up the reserves and expands the draft, Major League Baseball could lose some of its most promising young players. For example, the Yanks could lose Tony Kubek, Bill Stafford, and Ralph Terry, who served six months each during the winter. And the San Francisco Giants were getting ready to return to New York to play the Yankees Monday night in a Sandlot benefit game. This would be the forerunner to the Mayor's Trophy game. And there was so much interest in the Giants' return that the Yankees' flagship TV station, WPIX Channel 11, announced it would televise the game because New Yorkers wanted to see Willie Mays. Sunday, July 23rd, on a hot afternoon, 28,575 turned out at Fenway Park. And once again, they watched ninth-inning heroics in a seesaw battle. This time, it was Elston Howard, yet another Yankees catcher, in fact, their, their regular catcher, who delivered, slugging a two-run homer in the top of the ninth inning, giving the Yankees a 4-3 lead. But the Bombers had problems. First, Johnny Blanchard, the hero in the first two games of the series, wasn't available, having cut, and think about this for just a moment, if you can believe this, having cut his right hand on a broken window of a car. He was rushed by autograph seekers leaving Fenway Park Saturday night and was jostled into the motor vehicle. Amazing. And because manager Ralph Hawk's bullpen was worn out, the major stuck with starting pitcher Bud Daly for the entire game and paid the ultimate price in the bottom of the ninth inning. Don Budden opened the frame with a single and advanced to second on Carl Yastrzemski's sacrifice bunt. Pinch hitter Pumpsy Green knocked in Budden with a double off the green monster. With two out, Gary Geiger singled to right. Green scored the game-winning run just ahead of a strong throw from Roger Maris. The Red Sox had a walk-off win in two hours and 24 minutes with both starting pitchers going the distance. Amazing! Daly dropped to 8-12, and 12, while Don Schwal improved to 10-2. and 2. Meanwhile, the M&M boys were becoming a gate attraction. The three-game series at Fenway drew 85,850, and the Yankees, on their 10-date road trip, attracted 328,570. Huge numbers in 1961. As for the standings, the Yankees were back in second place after the Tigers swept a doubleheader from Kansas City. The second game won by the Tigers, 17-14, setting a Major League Baseball record for the time of a nine-inning game. It lasted three hours and 54 minutes. In all, the doubleheader took seven hours and 23 minutes to play. But it was worth it for Detroit, back in first place by a half game over the Yankees, whose record dropped to 60-33. and In the National League, the race was also tight as the 58 and 37 Cincinnati Reds led the Dodgers by just a game and a half. Monday, July 24th. It was induction day at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, where Max Carey and Billy Hamilton were the latest players inducted into the hall. The annual exhibition game at Doubleday Field featured the Baltimore Orioles against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And there was more interleague play, as the San Francisco Giants were at Yankee Stadium to play the Yankees in a game to benefit 
Sandlot Baseball in New York. It was the first time the Giants were back in New York since they moved in 1957, and 47,346 turned out, with many cheering for the Giants. The game also featured the two best center fielders in Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle, and they did not disappoint. This might have been an exhibition game, but whoa, they played. In the second inning, Mantle, leading the majors in home runs with 37, blasted a 420-foot homer into the bleachers in right center. In the third, Mickey made a spectacular running catch on a drive into the gap in right center by Mays on a 3-2 pitch, batting with the bases loaded and two out. But in the fifth, with runners at second and third, Mays delivered with a two-run single. He was then replaced for a pinch runner and departed to a huge, loud standing ovation. In the end, the Giants prevailed 4-1 in two hours and 38 minutes. Even before the game, it appeared most of the attention was on the Giants as fans lined up from the Giants' dugout to the foul pole in left to get autographs. As the New York Times reported, quote, the beloved Giants had come home. In the standings, meanwhile, the Yankees were now one game out as the Tigers downed the L.A. Angels 5-2. to Back to the regular season. Tuesday, July 25th. President Kennedy stunned the nation, calling for an additional 217,000 men in the armed forces and $3.4 billion in funds to meet the, quote, worldwide threat by the Soviet Union. At the stadium, the White Sox were in town to play the Yankees in a twine-night doubleheader. What was that, their, their third twine-night doubleheader in something like eight days? Amazing. 46,240 turned out, and they were not disappointed, as New York slugged eight home runs in the doubleheader, including four by Roger Maris. In the first game, for the fourth time this season, Maris and Mickey Mantle went back-to-back. It came in the fourth inning when Maris hit his off the right field foul pole and Mantle belted his off the left field foul pole. Maris slugged his 37th and Mantle his 38th. In the eighth inning of the first game with former Yankees pitcher Don Larson on the mound for the White Sox. Yes, that Don Larson. Maris slugged his 38th homer of the year into the right field bleachers. The beneficiary of this outburst was Whitey Ford, who pitched seven scoreless innings. In the end, the Yankees were 5-1 winners in two hours and seven minutes, and Ford won his 18th game against only two defeats. In the second contest, Maris belted two more homers, numbers 39 and 40. Cleet Boyer added two homers, and Elston Howard hit another as the Yankees bombed the White Sox 12-0 in two hours and 23 minutes. Bill Stafford pitched the distance, allowing the Pale Hose just six hits to improve to 9-4. Manager Ralph Howe called Stafford's return to the rotation huge, seeing that Stafford, Ralph Terry, and Bob Turley were all suffering from sore arms and had been sidelined. Said Howe, quote, Now that Stafford is ready to go again, the pitching should be all right, end quote. Things were also all right for the Yankees because the Tigers lost to the Angels, so the Bombers were back in first place by half a game with a 62-33 and record. Wednesday, July 26th, President Kennedy gained support of the Congress, which approved that the August draft be increased. 
Meanwhile, the New York Times ran a popular photo with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris posing back-to-back. Mantle, of course, wearing uniform number 7 and Maris number 9. The total of 79, representing the number of homers the two had hit, with Mantle belting 39 homers and Maris 40. Meanwhile, another 22,366 turned out at Yankee Stadium, and Mantle slugged his 39th homer of the season, a two-run cloud in the first inning that landed in the bleachers in right center. Johnny Blanchard, his injured hand healed, belted two homers, and Cleet Boyer won as the Bombers defeated the White Sox 5-2 in two hours and six minutes. Roland Sheldon pitched the distance, allowing just four hits, improving to 7-3 and three on the season. Mantle was now 22 games ahead of Babe Ruth's pace, and Maris 23 games ahead of the Bambino. All was not rosy for the Yankees, however, as they learned that pitcher Bob Turley had an inflamed elbow in his throwing arm. Turley was a right-hander, and he was headed to an extended stay on the disabled list. He probably needed Tommy John surgery. Except there was no Tommy John surgery in 1961, so they listed it as an inflamed elbow. With the Tigers winning against the Angels, the 63-33 and Yankees remained in first place by a half game. The New York Times, incidentally, ran a story about the 1927 home run race between Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. In the July 26, 1927 edition of the New York Times, Richard Vidmer wrote, the Great American Home Run Derby was on a pace, and what a pace. The Babe clouded two home runs into the right field bleachers in the first game, giving him 33 for the season. And the Buster, that's Lou Gehrig's nickname, the Buster boomed one into the same section in the second game, which was his 32nd. Thursday, July 27th, U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert S. McNamara told Congress... Only sparing use would be made of the authority requested by President Kennedy to call reservists to active duty and to extending military training obligations. At Yankee Stadium, 20,529 turned out. But this time, there were no home runs. Mickey Mantle did have two runs battered in, and Roger Maris won as the Yankees completed their four-game sweep of the White Sox with a 4-3 victory in two hours and 38 minutes. Ralph Terry picked up the win, improving to 6-1, while Luis Arroyo got the last two outs as Chicago rallied for three runs in the ninth. But the Yankees did walk away with another injury. Catcher Elston Howard left the field bleeding from his head after he was hit by the bat of Floyd Robinson on a swing. He walked off the field under his own power, replaced by Johnny Blanchard. Team physician Dr. Sidney Gaynor said the injury was not serious and did not require stitches. With the Tigers enjoying a Thursday off day, the Yankees at 64 and 33 were now in first place by one game. Meanwhile, two more Yankees were added to the second All-Star game roster scheduled for the following Monday at Fenway Park. They were Luis Arroyo and Bill Scourin. And in Cleveland... By the way, the Indians, who were a respectable 54-47, and 47, although 12 games out of first, had to stave off rumors that manager Jimmy Dykes was about to be fired. Indians general manager Gabe Paul, who would one day run the New York Yankees under George Steinbrenner, called the story 
false. A wild time in July for the 1961 baseball season. Well, that is going to do it for our latest Baseball 61 podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also visit Baseball61.com. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm Dan Lavallo.